to be turning to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. We're going to be entering a somewhat or maybe very controversial passage of Scripture. So much so, people might wondering might be wondering then, why are we covering 12 controversial verses in one sermon? And I've covered less verses in previous sermons about less debated topics, and the reason being is it could be that many debated controversies in Scripture can happen in part because doctrines are derived out of verses that are not taken in context. So my hope is to take this topic in context, and in order to do that, we need to be studying all these verses together. And if you want to be studying them a little bit deeper, or maybe see them a little bit more separate, I believe there were three separate studies covered in our study guides in James, looking at this topic in three ways that James does. To get us thinking about our topic, though, I want to ask you a question that I would like for you to respond verbally in your own words. What is faith? What is faith? Go ahead. Belief. In something that's not seen. Trust. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Belief, trust in things that aren't seen. Faithfulness. Have those answers in our head while I invite you to stand in honor of reading the Lord's Word together today. So if you're able to, please stand as we read verses 14 to 26 in James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Whereas the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. Father, I don't fool myself to think that I can open up to this great book, do a little bit of studying, and present it plainly. I desperately need your spirit in these moments. We all need your spirit to receive your inspired word. 
Father, would you speak truth into our hearts today? Give us receptive ears and hearts. Help us to do what the Word says. Father, if our hearts or ears are pricked, I pray that we know that they are pricked in love, that your kindness leads us to repentance. Holy Spirit, you may be wishing to encourage or comfort someone with these words. Please do so. Whatever you would wish to do in each and every one of our hearts, would you give us the grace to receive that word today? Please move me out of the way and say what it is that you desire. We invite your spirit to fall over us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I believe in coming to the latter part of James 2. We're coming to something in which, unapologetically, and not as a cop-out, but just what it is, I believe semantics has some weight on this passage when we compare or contrast with other parts of the Bible, namely Paul's writings. And I want to be careful when I preach here to say that I'm not defending anything. I'm not apologizing for the Bible, but I love what Charles Spurgeon once said, that the word of God is a lion. All it needs to do is be let loose. It'll defend itself. (laughs) A few things I believe that should frame this discussion, and that I believe framed James' discussion originally, is that James is talking about primarily faith in this passage. He's not talking about justification centrally, He's talking about what faith is centrally. And that is, what is the faith that justifies us? For refreshment on a definition, justification is simply stating being declared righteous before God. And so, what is it that declares you righteous before God? How does that happen? Our passage is secondarily about being justified, but it's more about faith in particular. Because the answer to what justifies you, biblically speaking, in the simplest of terms, is faith in Christ declares me righteous, justifies me. And so James has been essentially focusing on, okay, what does that faith look like? So do you see how faith comes into the focus while justification becomes an underlying discussion? Secondarily, it's important to note that James is going to use the phrase faith alone to talk about really an artificial, really a non-existent faith. And when James uses faith alone or dead faith or useless faith, he's talking about what I believe to be a non-value. It is a description of something that some people have that truly is not faith at all. In other words, James' big argument here is that the true faith that truly exists is how James is describing here. But he needs a phrase to describe artificial faith or unsaving faith. Does that make sense? It will hopefully become clearer as we go through the passage, and I'll show you why I believe that here in a bit. And finally, I want us to understand that works in this passage here means good deeds but not even in a meritorious sense. But good deeds, as in a good-willed, good-hearted, loving, kind, selfless, not self-serving, 
or intended to impress or gain brownie points with God, the church, or the people type deeds. It's not necessarily even pointing to works of the law, as in, if I don't do these works that God has mandated in the law, I will be damned. But rather, works is being used by James in a general sense, good deeds. Does that make sense? To go through our study today, we're going to liven our faith. I've given us an acronym, L-I-V-E-M. James lays out what he's talking about. He gives us an illustration. He verifies what he's talking about. He's going to give you evidence from the Bible, which is where the bulk of our sermon will be. And then lastly, he names what he's just stated. So what all good speakers do, whether preachers or teachers or just public speakers, he's going to tell you what he's going to talk about, he'll talk about it, and then he told you what he's talked about. Does that make sense? First, he lays out what he's talking about in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If you highlight or circle the words, circle that last sentence, the words, that faith. Other translations might say such faith or his faith or even just the word faith. That last question in verse 14. Because what that faith is, is the non-value, artificial faith. By James's own words in verses 17 and 26, it is a faith that is dead. And in verse 20, it is a faith that is useless. Do you know what a dead and useless human being is? By definition, a corpse and no longer a being. It's not human. Do you know what a dead and useless cow is? We've given it an entirely different name. People say I'm eating steak, burger, or beef. And only as a joke do we say I'm going to eat cow today. James is defining what faith is in this passage, and he's giving it the definition of what faith is. And so he says here that someone who says he has faith but does not have works does not have a genuine faith. It's a faith that is dead and a faith that is useless. It's really a faith that is not, period. That's what I'm arguing. Does that argument make sense? James has to describe what some people have. That is mere acknowledgement of true doctrine, of God, who Jesus is, what he did. And so he describes it as faith alone, or a dead and useless faith. But if we believe that in this passage that James is about to describe what faith truly is, it is a faith that is truly not the dead and useless thing that doesn't work. I know it's semantics, but I believe it's important, and I'll show you why later. So he's laid out the argument, faith that doesn't work is no good. Next, he illustrates it. Remember our acronym, L, lays it out, I, illustrates it. He illustrates in verses 15 through 17. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Easy enough illustration. The point being that the well-wish of the supposed believer is very pious, full of some sort of faith, right? Be warmed and filled, as in God can do that. I pray that he does. It is theologically correct. It's 
very religious. But again, James's last words here, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Dead faith, useless faith, by definition is not faith. <laughs> you see, the illustrated recipient of this shallow blessing, be warmed and be filled, can respond, I don't believe you. Why? Because you have the means to help warm and fill me, and you don't. Thereby, your very actions you prove to be really faithless. It is a dead faith, which isn't faith if something's dead. In my study on this topic in our study guides, I illustrated it this way. I, if I made vows to Christy on my wedding day, and then the very next day I ran off with other women, never to see Christy again, people could say, Kevin doesn't love Christy. And I could respond, but I made vows. The vows were assurances of what my actions should speak. They become nothing if I do not act in them, if I don't fulfill them, if I never intended nor never lived up to them. They aren't even vows of love. They're nothing. They're dead. Useless. The wedding vows would have meant nothing, would have come to nothing. People could have said, I didn't believe him when he said he loved her. So it is with faith. If it does not have works, it's dead. Our acronym of LIVEN. So James has laid it out. Faith that doesn't work is no good. He's illustrated it. Someone who might wish well another person but does nothing to remedy that situation. A non-genuine faith by definition is no faith at all. Next, James is going to verify the argument and the definition of faith in verses 18 through 20. He says, But someone will say, You have faith. And I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Verse 18 is my primary verse to make the case of what I'm making, and that James is defining faith. And he's saying that by definition, faith apart from works is really no faith at all. And so spoken positively, faith by definition encompasses works. The argument here in verse 18, someone is trying to separate the ideas of faith and works. And in this case, faith meaning Merely mental receptivity or positive assent to a doctrine would be all that's necessary to be saved. And so the argument that James says is someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Okay, James is saying someone is going to say these things are separate, that you can believe in Jesus and the right doctrine, and meanwhile I can do good deeds and be a good person and don't have to be a believer to begin with. That's the argument. James responds, show me your faith apart from your works. Think about that demand on your life right now. I want all of you to show me that you believe all the right stuff apart from your works. Don't move. Don't do anything. Just show me. Okay, I didn't see it. Right. Hopefully the result you see is that you can't. I cannot show up at work and work potato chips on the weekend. And suppose somebody is new in the back room working for Cloningers who I've never met. I cannot walk in 
and just by my very presence prompt them to realize he's a believer. He has faith, just the way he looks. Now, sure, I could don Christian clothing and advertise that way, but so could Adolf Hitler if he wanted to, and pretty quickly, maybe Adolf would have been found out. The point James is making over and over as he reiterates here, and I will show you my faith by my works. You will never find a person in the Bible who had simply mental receptivity or positive assent to God's truth and then were counted as true believers. We will see here in a minute that in that in a text that James goes to in a minute, but we don't open up to Hebrews 11, to the big Hall of Faith chapter, and say, look at all these people who warm chairs and thought a lot and read their Bibles and voted for Jesus in every election, and wow, they, they're a great bunch of believers. No, but because of their faith, they did things. They worked. The very first by faith sentence in Hebrews 11 verse 4 is followed by an action. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. The author of Hebrews must have agreed with James because very generally speaking, he's saying our example from faith from Abel is because of what he did. It's faith because what he believed was expressed by what he did. His faith was shown by his works. This is the mandate, the formula, the repetition of the rest of Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel did this, Noah did that, Abraham did that, and so on. As for the non-value, unreal, not genuine, useless, and dead so-called faith, which is merely mental assent to a doctrine, James says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Mere belief, according to James, is not the definition of faith. Even orthodox belief is not enough. Let me say that again. Faith is not defined as orthodox belief. You can have all the right beliefs about the Bible, including Jesus Christ saved me from my sin and gets me to heaven, but it is not true faith if it's not accompanied by works. That is a life-changing response and reaction, and that's important whenever I say reaction, because whenever we hear works, I don't want you to hear performance. I don't want you to hear, God, look at what I'm doing. Is this going to save me? That's not the works that James is talking about. That's what I said at the beginning. But it's not true faith if it's not accompanied by works. That's what James has been saying, I believe. He says here, even the demons believe. In Mark chapter 1, verses 23 through 26, we read the story of an exorcised demon in a synagogue from Jesus. And in Mark 1, 23 through 25, it states, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have I... What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. We see here that besides the Father at Jesus' baptism, and besides John the Baptist calling Jesus greater than he, 
in the book of Mark, the first blatant and true proclamation of who Jesus is comes from a demon. Even John the Baptist didn't go that far. This demon calls Jesus the Holy One of God. Demons know. Satan knows the truth. Satan has the Bible figured out better than I do. He and his little demons have had a long time to commit memory verses that they wanted to. And note that even their belief, James is really punching me in the face at least, their belief is matched by some works. Their belief is matched with shuddering. James tells us in verse 19, here the demons talk to people who do not respond, period. The demons shudder because they believe it. They believe what the Bible says, that ultimately God's going to win and that for them it's a losing game. They might deceive themselves to think that maybe we'll wiggle out of it. I don't know, I really don't care to know how they think, but at least they shudder. This book tells us we lose. This book tells us God wins. This book tells us that God's overcome the power of hell and Satan and sin and death and the wrath of God, and, and we're in those categories. We're doomed. They shudder. Then, James is not being very nice. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, <laughs> that faith apart from works is useless? The book of Ouch, as I tell you. <laughs> He's calling us foolish now. Proverbs tells us that foolish people need wisdom. And so that's what James is giving us to get any of us who think that faith without works is somehow useful or living or even true faith, period. Acronym time, Liven. James has laid it out. Faith without works is useless or dead. I'm basically carrying that argument to this logical end, so I believe he's saying faith without works is no faith at all. He's illustrated it. It's like a so-called person of faith telling a hungry, cold, homeless person, be warmed and filled, but doing nothing about it. He's verified the definition. He says, I'm saying faith always encompasses works and its genuine definition. Now he's going to prove the point by scriptural evidences in verses 21 through 25. He has primarily two scriptural evidences, one from the life of Abraham and another from the life of Rahab. And these two evidences are broken by verse 24, which sounds like a complete contradiction to something Paul says. So we're going to dive into this. Verse 20, beginning with verses 21 through 23. James says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his own son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. There's a verse a friend can love. <laughs> I want to look at these verses backwards. Because it's going to make it makes more sense to me. I want to take a quick breather because perhaps some of you feel like the gospel you know is under attack. Because the biggest rest and the biggest assurance of the gospel for you and I has always been that it's completed at the cross. That Jesus has paid it all. And that true belief, and that, or excuse me, in the fact that true faith is defined as belief accompanied by works. Sounds like it disagrees that Jesus paid it all. Because if Jesus paid it all, why am I having to work? This is where semantics and truly understanding words and terms are paramount. So I want to define a term, our terms again. That the works that justify a believer 
are not works for salvation. They are works from faith. Let me say that again. The works that justify a believer are not works for salvation. They are works from faith. Jesus has paid it all. You are saved solely through what he has done. And I believe that James affirms this in verse 23. He goes back to Genesis 15. James says in 123, he says, And the scripture was fulfilled that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So where is James pulling this from? He's pulling it from Genesis 15, God's covenant with Abraham. If we go back to Genesis 15 and read the first six verses again, it says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And we talked about this a while ago while we were studying Galatians 2.20. Abraham saying, Hey, you've promised me numerous descendants, but we have no babies. I guess you meant to tell me that our descendants were going to be through one of the servants of my household which was a common practice then. Not so, though. We read, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. James is not saying, I disagree. <laughs> Righteousness was credited to him when Abraham worked. What James is asking, what kind of faith did Abraham have? Do you hear the subtle difference in that? Because what I did not mention to you, and I believe what James is subtly getting at, what happened before Genesis 15? What happened in Genesis 12? God showed up to Abraham and said, Hey, leave everything and everyone you ever know and follow me. And Abram did what? He believed God. And he did what God told him. So his belief was shown by his works. Do you hear that? What Abraham did not do was say, Leave everything and everyone. Okay. And then stick around in his homeland, right? <laughs> I believe you, God. Leave my homeland. Go where you're telling me. I believe it. And then God's asking, When are you going? <laughs> Rather, Abraham did not just have merely mental assent and acknowledgement of the truth. He had faith which was shown by his works. And note that James here is referring to Abraham and his works. In James 2.22, he says, You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. The word completed is kind of like a nail in the coffin for this whole argument, really, that James is defining faith. Faith is completed by works. Faith is not something that, that can exist separate from works. Faith alone is a non-value, a term in this argument to describe what some people have, an artificial, useless, dead faith. That faith is completed by works. Again, I don't believe James is preaching that works are meritorious or added to our account of salvation. Why? Paul was always facing and always arguing against Judaizers who would say that faith in Christ 
isn't enough, you need to follow the law. Note that the law did not exist for Abraham. The works that James are referring to were works prompted by Abraham's faith in a living God who speaks and confronts and directs sinners. There's a big difference there. Judaizers are people who say faith plus meritorious works equal salvation, look to their books, their teachers, and their traditions and say, what do I do? True faith just looks to God alone and says, what do I do? Big difference. Abraham, verse 23, was a friend of God. Again, this was before the law. This was in many ways, this is something that was brought up in Sunday school, kind of like what you and I have. You and I boldly approach the throne of God and trust that he's speaking to us and we him. So did Abraham. He only knew that God was speaking to him. That God was being gracious to he, a sinful man. And that because he had a relationship with the one true God, he better do what he says. His faith was shown by his works and not just Genesis 12, up and leave his homeland. Or Genesis 15, God counted his faith as righteousness. But Abraham's faith was active his whole life. And that's what James is getting to in 2.21. He says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his own son Isaac on the altar? This is why I taught these three verses backwards, because chronologically speaking, James starts off in verse 21 with the latest part of Abraham's life. James is looking to the offering of Isaac, and you know the story. The God who called Abram out of his homeland, Genesis 12, who had promised him numerous descendants, Genesis 15. Abram believed God and credited to him his righteousness. Now later in life, in Genesis 22, with his promised son, being told one day by this same God to now offer him, to be willing to lay down the realization of what his promises and desires were for, to be willing to sacrifice it. God detests child sacrifice. He loves his creation. Abraham knew knew the voice of God, though, and his authoritative voice was all Abraham needed to set out on his journey to do what God told him to do. But when he got to the very mount, Isaac's tied up, the dagger's up. Abraham hears from God, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. And then James's emphasis, I believe, are these words. For now... I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Again, you see that faith was active along with his works. Faith was completed by his works. And you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. We knew Abraham had faith how? Because he left his homeland, because he believed God that he would have children, because he was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. These are are visible expressions of faith. I've never met a person of faith say, Abram's a great example of faith because he said he believed God. (laughs) Right? Billy Graham's a great example of faith because he professed to be a believer. That's like saying that cop down there is a good cop because he says he's a cop. Faith does A person is justified by works. Interesting verse, especially when compared to Paul in Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. This is why semantics is very important. I told you to begin with that when James says works, he's talking about faith-born deeds, not deeds done meritoriously. 
When James says works, he's not talking about works of the law. He's talking about good deeds done from a heart that has true faith in God, true love for God, therefore true love for people. It's believed that James is writing earlier before Paul writes. And we do know that Paul was aware of James and thought highly of James, so I find it historically speaking highly unlikely that Paul disagrees with James here, but by virtue of being a Christian believing the Bible is without error, I find it 100% unlikely that Paul disagrees with James here. In fact, in Galatians, Paul says two things relevant to this. First, Paul commends James in character in that Paul calls James a pillar of the church in Galatians 2.9, along with John and Peter. We see in Acts that Paul takes a, a posture of submission to James. We covered this in our introduction to this sermon series. Secondarily, Paul does not believe in a gospel that says mere mental assent receives salvation. Because over and over and over and over in Romans, he says, shall we keep on sinning so grace may abound? Of course not. But also, in Galatians 5-6, we read Paul saying, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, right? Being a Jew and keeping the law doesn't save anybody, but only faith, which is what saves. And Paul agrees with James, the only true faith is one that is working through love. Working through love. That is precisely what James, I believe, is saying in James 2. We're still on the E, evidence from the scriptures. we got to finish, don't worry, the end will be quick, but let's finish the E, so here we go. James also points to Rahab. He says, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. The only way that you know Rahab would be a believer is because of what she did, period. James, or excuse me, Joshua 2.1, when we first meet Rahab, we do not hear, and the spies came into the house of a believer named Rahab who was holding Bible study. Right? Rather, unflattering and quite the opposite, we read, and they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. But this prostitute knew trusted and believed the Lord so much it put her to action. Her faith in God was one that was born out of fear and a desire to be saved and a knowledge that God and his people could save her. So the spies, starting in Joshua 2.9, says, For I know that the Lord... She said to the spies, starting in Joshua 2.9, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man. Because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. That last sentence is a sentence of proclamation, one that comes from faith. So true, it was shown by her works, not by works of the law. There was no law in Israel that said, when you invade foreigners, they must hide you and conceal you from their kings and princes. But it was a good, selfless, non-meritorious of salvation deed, protecting God's chosen people that was produced by true faith, which is faith 
that saves believers. Faith that the God of Israel is real and he's coming to my home. So, Liven, James laid it out. Faith without works is dead. He's illustrated. A so-called person of faith who wishes warmth and food but doesn't offer it to someone who needs it has a useless dead faith. He's verified it. Faith, by definition, works. A faith that has no works is not faith. He's shown evidence from the scriptures. Abraham believed his faith was completed by his works, such as being willing to offer Isaac. Rahab believed. We know that she's a person of faith only because she hid the spies in the land. So lastly, James tells us, namely, what faith is. And in verse 26, he says, for as, a, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the illustration I made at the beginning. What good is a useless dead body? We have a different name for a dead human being. We call them corpses because by definition there seems to be no being. Likewise, faith, truly defined, does. Apart from works, it is not faith. There is no use for the faith, no life in the faith. The common illustration is that I know that you all have had faith in this pew, and none of you voiced it to me. I just see you're sitting in them. If you weren't sitting in them, you wouldn't have faith in them. I was waiting for somebody to get up there. It's shown by the work if you're sitting in them. The point being the conclusion, the application. The ouch moment, the punchline has been, so you say you have faith, how is that being shown? If you were in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, what would it say when it began? And by faith, Kevin did what? Under any of those names we never read, by faith, Kevin talked a lot. And when pressed, he confessed to being a believer, and he just sat around saying he knows Jesus and tried him to know every, each more every day. Faith does. Yes, faith knows Jesus. Yes, faith loves Jesus. Yes, faith has moments of resting in the Lord. There is blessed assurance in knowing that Jesus paid it all. But we're not talking about salvation per se. We're talking about the faith that you and I claim to have in Jesus to be saved. What's that faith doing? Is your faith in God so strong? That if he were to tell you to do something offensively, not offensively as maliciously, but on the offense, would you do it? Offensively as in faith is not meant to be just defensive. I trust in God, believe in Jesus, don't pick on me for it. <laughs> I don't do these things and I don't act that way. I've got to have my guard up defensively, but also offensively. I have a living relationship with God who speaks to me. And he's telling me to talk to those people, to invest in these ministries, to support those missionaries, to warm and fill the person down my street who needs warmed and filled, or even to head out into the mission field, whatever. What is your faith doing? Does that make sense? Let's pray. Father, there is a what seems to be, to my little mind, a paradox in the Bible? Because we read that the Lord Jesus, before he did any ministry, he was baptized, and what did God say? This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus did nothing yet. But at the same time, you tell us in your word that whenever we reach your kingdom, you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, what is that done referring to? 
mere mental assent, mere belief that I'm saved and I've lived life apart from what your law dictates. I've lived life apart from the Spirit, as Russ read for us earlier this morning. But rather, Father, we've, we've studied today and we realize that faith does. Father, what is my faith doing? And I pray that not only would you convict us with these words, but that you would remind us of what we've just read and what we believe, that Abraham was a friend of God, that we are a friend of God, and that means you talk to us. Father, you never say you better do these things and then you don't give us the way how. But rather, you always invite us to spend time with you, to commune with you. Father, what would you have us do? What would you have me do personally? Would you tell us these things throughout our walk with you this next week? Each of us have neighbors, friends, family that needs needs the gospel. Maybe it's not necessarily the gospel of inviting them to church or having them come to know Jesus, but first of all, they just need a cup of water. And Father, help us to grow those relationships and to see people saved by you. And help us to be open to each and everything you would call us to do, big or small, whether it means leaving the homeland or if it means the small things, such as just taking you at your word, as Abraham had to take you at your word, that he would have kids. Whatever it is, we pray that you would have a way in our lives. Give us the grace and the spirit to do these things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.